let me just say this. If you don't believe marriage is a possibility, then the entire idea of dating correctly, dealing with your baggage, all these things, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and many of our, our ideas of marriage were messed up from early on, from childhood, all that. We had, I had a friend, um, a really good friend named Brad, who uh, he grew up in a, basically an environment where that happened. His parents got divorced. Both of them got remarried and had other kids, and he became that middle child. Some of you know what I'm talking about, where both sides have their own kids now, and he's kind of in the middle. And his mom uh, and his stepdad decided his senior year to move off because that was what was best for the other kid that they had and kind of just left him behind. And, uh, and so he ended up living with us. And up until that point, um, he was pretty much against marriage. He didn't believe it was a possibility. He believed it only hurt people. And then he got to get, come into our household, see my parents' marriage, which is not perfect, not at all, not even close, but it's very real and honest, and he got to see something worth having. And let me just say this, tonight is about helping convince you that it's possible, but if you've never seen a good marriage, if you've never seen that, you need to see one. You need to be around one. Uh, if you know somebody with a good marriage, this sounds weird, okay? But somebody with a good marriage will understand this. Say, can I have dinner with you? Can we have conversations? I wanna see what it's like, because it's important to see what a good marriage looks like versus what you saw at home. Uh, because it's a very, very different idea. But we also have a bad idea of marriage because of the stats, right? We've been hearing our entire lives, what is it? One in two marriages fail. 50% of marriages fail. And I gotta be honest with you, if you told me there's a 50% chance that whatever I was doing was going to end in horror, hurt, and kids being brought through, all that kind of stuff, I don't know if I would do it either. And so there's this idea this entire time that there's a 50% chance that your life will be ruined by that relationship, that your life will have to go through this entirely tough time if you have this relationship. Here's the problem. All those statistics that they've said are actually wrong. The 50% the marriage idea wasn't even taken from a survey about marriage. It was actually a survey about death that they got it from. And so what they've done is they've given this and it's skewed this. It's never even gotten close to reaching 50%. In fact, over the last 30 years, divorce has declined. We don't, we don't, we're starting to hear that a little bit now, but divorce has declined. Here's, here's a crazy, crazy stat. 72% of people are still married to their first spouse. That's not including death. So if someone died and had to remarry, that's not really divorce. So if you actually included the people whose spouses died, you're looking upwards of 75 to 78% of people are still married to their first spouse. Actually, the divorce rate in first marriage is only 20 to 25%. In fact, uh, it's all marriages, it's 32 to 37, because people that tend to get married a lot tend not to be good at it. Um, you guys heard my wife talk about it. Her mom was married five times. Uh, her grandma was married four times. They kind of skew everything there. It's like they keep going. I don't know why. I think at some point I give up, but they, they keep going. That So people that are serial marriages bring that number down. Now, on top of that, here's what we've believed. Because divorce is such a possibility, because everybody's done it the wrong way, we believe in living together before we get married. And that's the belief. I, I talk to people all the time. Well, what's the steps? You, you, know, you date, you get to know each other, you decide to move in together, then you get married, then you then you move into, I mean, it all goes that way. Well, here's the problem. Living together before you get married actually has a lot of horrible statistics against it. If you live with someone before you get married, your chance of divorce goes all the way up to 83%. 83%. And on top of that, the chance of a spouse cheating goes up drastically too. 40% uh, more likely that a wife will cheat on a husband if they live together before they got married. 60% more likely that a man will also. Um, there's a lower level of happiness, sexual fulfillment, sexual regularity, guys, sexual, 
level of relationship with family. And here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. Everybody believes in the idea of living with someone before you get married increases your chances of getting married. Your actual chance of getting married drops by 40%. Why is that possible? It's because you're, you're doing something that's meant for a commitment outside of a commitment. You're doing something that's meant for a covenant outside of a covenant. So, but what is possible? You're like, how? You're giving me all of these bad things. Well, here's something interesting. If you are truly involved in church, like you are involved in church on a regular basis, your chance of divorce drops by 50%. 50% right off the top. Actually, they say even if one person even wants the marriage to make it, it does. Uh, and 80% of current marriages say they would do it again. 20%, they say, if they wait five years, they'll be in the same place. Now, why is that the case? Because life is about seasons. You guys know this, right? You go through seasons. There's times where it's good. There's times where it's bad. There's times where your relationship is hurting, and there's times where it's great. Marriage is the same way. There's going to be times that it's really tough, but if you wait it out, if you try at it, then it happens. Now, I want to give you the best stat tonight. There's a 90 to 95% success rate in marriage if you do, I believe, four different things, and here's what it is. Uh, you are at least 21 years old, you don't live with each other before you're married, you attend church regularly, and you went to, this is not completed, you went to some sort of college, trade school, or post-high school education. This is even if you went to a semester of it. Just a semester of it, your chance of staying married is 90 to 95%. That's incredibly high. That's one of those stats that makes you go, oh, this is possible. This is possible. And then some of you will sit there, well, I know somebody that did that, and they didn't. Of course, there's still 5 to 10% there, and you probably know somebody there. But there's a 90 to 95% chance of success rate. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because people have used the 50% as a reason for many different things that haven't worked out well. If you believe that marriage isn't possible, if you believe it's going to end, I had heard somebody say, well, it's just my first marriage. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not, that's not how we should talk. But here's what we do. If we believe 50% of it happens, then when you're getting, going through a tough part in your marriage, you go, well, half of people already gave up. I might as well also. If, or I just don't go into a marriage. In fact, that's the reason most people don't go into marriage right now is because they don't believe it's possible. And actually, for the first time ever, more children are being born into single-family homes than they are into married family homes. First time ever, over 50%. And so you see people, what's happening is they're so discouraged by the idea of marriage. They're so discouraged by the idea that this has to be the way that it works, that they're creating new ways of doing it, and we're hurting ourselves in the process. And what happens is we start to believe all kinds of lies that lead to divorce. And I've been talking about this one. This is one of the biggest lies that leads to so much to divorce. The idea of a soulmate. Okay? The idea of that one person that in the Christian world God has for you, outside the Christian world, that one perfect person that you're supposed to be with. That idea is so detrimental to relationships. Why? Because there's this belief, if I find my soulmate, it will be easy. If I find my soulmate, it will be easy. Life will be easy. We will never fight. It will be perfect. And then what it also gives you is a way to get out of a relationship. Well, we just weren't soulmates. So I need to find the other person. How messed up would that be if that was true? I mean, seriously, if you marry the wrong person, your soulmate marries the wrong person, you basically just screwed up two other people's lives. And then what's the chance of you ever finding it? I mean, it, it, it's a messed up idea, but that's what we believe. Here's what we believe. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's not my fault. They're not my soulmate. And that's not what's true at all. Marriage isn't easy, but the idea that if I find the right person, it'll be perfect isn't true. And the second thing is this, is the idea of being in love. This idea of being in love, that I'll always feel in love if I meet the right person. No, you won't. There will be times where you feel absolute love, and there will be times that you feel absolute the need to throw a chair. Like, 
My dad explained it this way. He says it's the most wonderful, awful relationship that you will ever be in. Here's what he means by that. Here's what he means. You will have your highest of highs and lowest of lows. You will have your best times, but you'll ever ha- also have your toughest times. Why? Because when you're in a relationship with someone that you truly love over time, who has the better ability to hurt you? Someone who doesn't know you or someone who knows you fully? So that's always there. That's always a, personal, a possibility. So it, yes, when you go into marriage, are you going to have tough times? Absolutely. But are you going to have good times? Yes. And there's a reason why God wants us to stay together. Now, we, we mess it up in so many ways. And one of the biggest ways we do it is we go into marriage unequally yoked. And this sounds like a weird thing. If you're not Christian, you've never heard that before. What does unequally yoked mean? It's like two different sized egg yolks. Like, what does that mean? So <laughs> it's this idea. Thank you. The three people that laughed. Um, that, was, that was probably a dad joke mixed with a pastor joke that just went bad. Uh, <laughs> So the idea of, you guys know oxen, they have, you have two oxen together, they have a yoke. It's called a yoke that goes in between them. And what happens is, is when you're unequally yoked, the, actually it tends to turn to the sideways or something goes off. And here's what happens many times with this, with this belief, is we believe, we believe we can save someone. We believe we can make up for it. And here's what we believe. We believe if we're yoked together, we'll bring them up to us. Here's what always happens almost always happens, is the person that's less than or the person that's not there slows everyone down. Rarely does that person bring that person up. And so it's important, especially as Christians, to do this. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 15, it says this. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be with a partner with wickedness? How can light live in darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Let me, let me just say, this happens so much more often with women than it does with men. And here, here's what I see. You, you, you see people date. I mean, you guys ever heard of missionary dating? It's this idea that I date you into heaven. And some of you are sitting there going, oh, crap, is that what's happening right now? Um, I didn't realize that was going on. It's like, it's this idea that, and this happens many times. You, you bring somebody along. You're like, well, the only way I'll date you is if you come to church. And the guy's like, okay, I'll come to church. The only way I date you is if you give your life to Christ. Okay, I gave my life to Christ. Then all of a sudden what happens is this, is you get married and in marriage, everything changes because if there's not true change, if there's not true uh, change in the man, he goes back. And here's what we see all the time. We see a mom at church with her kids. We see a mom at church with her kids while the dad stays at home. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. Your kids will go to church with you, and the stats say this, till about 13, and then they see what dad's doing, and they decide dad is doing what they want to do. Women, if you want your kids to grow up in a godly household, you must marry a godly man. Okay? You must. This, this is what the stats say. This is what the stats say. If a man goes to church, the family goes to church. If the woman goes to church, they may get the kids. This is one of those things that's incredibly true. This is one of those things that we've seen all the time. This is what the stats say, all this, and you're going to be like, oh, no, but he's amazing, or he has so much potential, and you guys know how I feel about the word potential. Uh, You leave potential there. And so it's this idea, guys, we're talking about a marriage where you both have to be on the same page, and if you're both not on the same page about God, it's going to be a rocky time. It's kind of like this. You guys ever done a three-legged race? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Back when I was a kid, I, I mean, I was always competitive, but there, a three-legged race is basically where you have that person next to you, and you put the strap about this leg and the other inside leg, and you have to run together, and you're going forward, and you have to get in time and all that. The biggest problem with a three-legged race when you're a tall person is being with a short person. 
being with a short person, you have a choice to either slow down to them or just pick them up and run with them. (laughs) When you are unequally yoked, you have a choice. Are you going to just slow down or are you going to try to pick them up and take both sides on it until you're too tired? See, that's what happens in marriage is we become unequally unequally yoked. But how does a marriage work? And here's what I want to do. I want to kind of go through the, I doubt many of you have looked at it this way. I've done many, many weddings, and through a wedding ceremony, you get the idea of what a marriage is supposed to look like, but rarely do we look at it that way. Rarely do we look at it and we focus on it like, this is what a true marriage is supposed to be. So I'm going to go through some of the stuff, and I'm going to start off really with the part that all the girls in here aren't going to like, and all the guys are going to be like, yeah, this is awesome, because this sounds wrong off the bat, but please, Please, please let me explain it. Don't leave. As soon as I, the, other, the other week at a different campus, I said, hey guys, we're going to talk about sex, and a girl just walked out. And so don't do that when I do this. And so as I'm talking through this, just listen, it says this. And it says, further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is talking about both of them. All right, this is where you start to dislike me. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for a husband is the head of the wife, and Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. All right, let me go through this. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as, Christ, as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and two are united as one. I just want to be uh, really transparent right now. These verses have been used by weak men in church for many years to keep women subservient. Okay? Yeah, (laughs) thanks. Um, They have. And And here's what's happened is you've had men that don't lead telling their wives to submit. I want want to point out the other word here. It says, just as Christ loved the church, what did Christ do for the church? He sacrificed for it, right? He laid down his life for it. There's two words in here I want to focus on, submit and sacrifice. Girls, this is what a man's supposed to be. A man is supposed to love you in such a way that he sacrifices everything he has for you. He looks to your needs first. When there's a possibility of his needs versus her needs, he goes to her needs If somebody needs to make a sacrifice, he falls on the sword. Guys go first. So when we're talking about a man that you're submitting to, we're not talking about a guy that's trying to take advantage of you, not trying to listen to you or anything like that. We're We're talking about a guy that is looking for you first, caring for you first, sacrificing for you first, and through that, you look to him. Now, I'm not talking about submitting like you're Opinion doesn't count. I'm not talking about submitting like you're not allowed to say anything. It is not like that at all. It is an equal partnership through submit and sacrifice. And let me just say this. I'm going to go ahead and get this out there just so you guys don't think I'm, I'm a bad guy. Um, I'm talking about the women in my life right now. My mom went back to school when we were in high school to become a nurse. My dad was like, do whatever you want to do, and that's what she went after. My sister lettered in five sports. She got her doctorate in physical therapy. Uh, She is someone that could easily make it on her own. Right now, she is a mom but works one time a week, and this is what happens when you get a really great degree. She works one time a week and makes 40 years, so it's nice. My wife, we did not have kids. One of the stipulations was, until you get a degree, we won't have kids. Why? 
because I wanted to make sure she was set up. I wanted to make sure that she didn't need me. If something happens to me, she had the ability to provide. I am not looking at women as anything less. Please understand me in that. This is the idea that God's like, okay, this is the way a relationship can work. Because if both people are in the same place, it becomes very tough. But if one person's looking to sacrifice while the other one commits, it actually is possible. It actually is possible. But it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. Um, if, you, if you ever think, oh, well, the Bible sees women as this, look back at Proverbs 31. Look at that woman. Woman that has her own business, woman that runs her house, does all of those things. We are not talking about someone who is weak. And let me just say this, girls. If you're looking at a guy that's willing to sacrifice everything for you, you would be willing to follow him. I believe that's the case. I believe that's the case. But this is the reason why in today's culture where we've gone so far from a male-dominated world that we're going to the other side. It's the reason why I don't like the movie Frozen. Um, because every man in that, uh, in that movie either screwed her over or is an idiot. Her dad was the one that locked her up. The men in her life at that point were the ones that were mean to her. And the one good guy was a moron. See, I, I would love for there to actually be a movie where both sides come together to create something better. Where both sides work together. Where it's like, yes, we, we actually make something more. Because that's the idea. I don't, I don't think we need to get to a society where it's going back and forth on who's better. Who's, who's, because women are better. But it, it's, it's not that idea. It's the idea of this. It's that what we can do is we can come together. God's created each of us differently, and together we can do more. That, that's the idea of marriage. And this is only possible in a marriage where both people trust each other completely, where both people are looking to do what God has called them to do, where a man is sacrificing and a woman is submitting. And so there's three keys that you see from that verse. There's leave. A man leaves his family to be with her. That's important. Move out. Um, cleave, which, and become one flesh. It's the idea that you're becoming one new entity. Now, the, the problem that we have many times is we believe as soon as we say the words, like I do, that we become that, that one flesh. We don't. This is something that happens over time. This is something that we have to work at. This is something that we do as our marriage grows. This is, this is what happens when we realize it's no longer about me, it's about us, which is the hardest thing to realize in marriage. As unselfish as you think you are, marriage re reveals so much selfishness. So many things that you want your way and you're realizing that you have to change it. And so you become this new entity in that. And what happens many times is we go into marriage and we talk about this with baggage. We both go into baggage. It's very hard for someone to heal and heal somebody else at the same time. It's very hard to heal someone and be healing. And so what we want to do is we want to go in as full as possible. But it's a commitment that comes through. And guys, I've said this before. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice. And so many times we've seen the verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. And we've seen this all the time when we use it all the time, but we don't really think through it. We don't. We like it, but we don't think through it. And so what I do many times in a wedding ceremony is I put the bride or groom's name into the verse. And what happens most of the time is not everybody going, oh. What happens most of the time is I read some of it, they go, he's not that. And that's what happens. And so what I think you should do when you think about love, think about it this way. 
And you put your name in. Hal is patient and kind. Hal is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. I can't even say it. Hal does not demand his own way. Hal is not irritable. And Hal keeps no record of being wrong. Hal does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Hal never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is the way I judge my love. Here's what you can do also. You can look at the person you're dating and determine, is this the kind of love they're showing or is it just something that's being said? Is it just something that's being said? But this is choice. This is choice. This isn't human nature. It's an everyday choosing to sacrifice. And this will rub some of you the wrong way. And I, and I heard another pastor say this, and it's so incredibly right. We don't love before marriage. We don't. Because the commitment's not there yet. Before marriage, we're not actually loving. What we have there is desire. And I think when I explain this, you, you guys, I desire to be with you. I desire to be around you. I desire to get to know you more. I desire to marry you. I desire to talk to you. I desire all of these things. But until I'm in a marriage where I can't get out, it's not love because love is a commitment. Love happens when all of a sudden you decide nothing you're going to do for the most part outside of biblical stands for, for getting a divorce is going to separate me from you. We're going to work through these things. And I always say I, say, I look at the bride and I go, hey, he will not always look this good. He won't. And I look at the groom and I say, she won't always think you're smart. For me, I was the smartest man in the world till I said I do. Then all of a sudden she went, nope, I don't agree with you anymore. Most of the time. Most of the time. But here's, here's the deal. If you're getting married based off the way they treat you in that moment, based off the idea that where they're at right now is never going to change, then you're missing it. Love is deciding that I'm going to marry you no matter what happens in marriage. It's, a, it's this personal commitment. Now, it's only possible with God. It's only possible with God. And so I, I've shown this graph before, this idea of the, the sin graph. And we go to the next slide real quick. And, and this is the idea. There's this idea that there's you, there's your spouse. There's an idea that we can do things right enough to where we can grow together, where we can have an incredible relationship. The problem is there's sin. It doesn't matter how much you love someone. It doesn't matter how much you believe you love someone. You will do something to hurt them. And they will do something to hurt you. And so there will always be sin in the middle of it. The only way we truly grow together is as we both look towards God. If we both look towards what we're looking towards is God. If we both look towards a relationship with God and going closer to God, and what happens is this, as we're both looking towards God, we both become closer. Because as we're both looking towards God, we start to look past the sin, we look, to look past the hurt, and we forgive. See, sin is a problem that comes into marriage. We can't love each other the way God wants us to without God. And, and let me just say this. One of the hardest things I learned in marriage is this. You can't control someone and you can't change someone. You may think you can. You may think you can. And you may be able to for a moment. But you can't control someone, you can't change one. That is the scariest thing. That is scary because once you realize that, you realize they have the ability to hurt you. And so what you have to do is you have to have something else in your life that lets you understand what love is. And what you should do. Because here's what happens. Once you realize you can't control and you can't change someone, what you start to do, you start looking to yourself, guarding yourself, putting up walls, making sure they don't hurt you, they don't try to change you. Because we, we have to realize that the only way we're going to go towards each other is going towards God, because it's the only way we can take ourself out of it. We are selfish, selfish people. 
And so what you, you see happening in marriage is this, is it, it starts off with a promise, right? It's, um, I said these exact words, uh, how, uh, see, I, I promise to love, honor, and cherish Chrissy in the good times as well as the tough times and financial stress and times of affluence, which is not to happen yet. Um, staying committed to Chrissy alone as long as I both shall live. And I say, I do. The thing is, these promises don't mean anything until marriage. And, and here's what happens. See, we believe this. Because our marriage kind of starts on promises, we believe that promises are okay. Um, I hear this all the time. Well, he promised to be this. He promised to do this. She promised to be this. She promised to do this. And what we want so badly many times is to get married. So we get married based off of a promise that doesn't come true. Hear this, guys. Promises are never a substitute for preparation. Promises are never a substitute for preparation. If you're looking at a man who has his entire finances out of whack, and he says, I promise I'll get them back, no. You watch them get back and determine it. If someone says, well, I had this issue, this is what's going on. For example, if someone has cheated on you and they say, I promise it'll never happen again, that's the moment to walk away. Because promises are never, never substitute for preparation. Someone, there's so many people out there that just hope to walk into marriage and everything will be okay. Now you're looking for someone that's prepared for marriage, that wants a marriage to work. And see, what we do is our promise kind of comes through the idea of giving a ring. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I've, I've told people all the time, it's funny. I, I tell uh, high schoolers, I'm like, this ring is just a symbol. It's a symbol of something. If I take it off, am I still married? And they go, no. I'm like, no, yes, I am still married. I'm very much still married. I'm like, it doesn't work that way, no matter what you've seen. And so, <laughs> ring is a symbol of marriage. And here, here's, what, here's the promises that you're making. It's a new symbol of authority. It's the idea that I have a new authority in my life that I'm going to listen to. Their thoughts are what I listen to. Their ideas are something that I pay attention to and I care about. It's a symbol of forgiveness. It's a symbol of forgiveness because a marriage without forgiveness will never last. You will have to forgive a lot. You'll have to forgive for things they didn't even say. They didn't even say. There's been times where I've said something, my wife's been like, oh, you meant it this way. I'm like, I never even said it, but I'm sorry. We, and she's had to forgive me for something I've never even said. You have to do it. It's also a symbol of love, the idea that it's never ending. See, it's a symbol of what's possible. And that's why I really do like the idea. You know, there's, there's two different things. You see the unity candle and the unity sand. Like the unity candle is the idea of two flames coming together. You can't separate them, which would be impossible. The unity sand is two colored sands that like you, you put together and it mixes all together. And the idea that it's impossible to get undone. But I know some people that have been in such a bad marriage that are like, pour out the sand, I'll separate it. Um, <laughs> but that's the idea. It's, it's the idea that it would be incredibly tough, almost impossible to separate us. And that's why you've got to find somebody that believes in marriage. Because this is so important. If you believe in marriage and they don't, that's a sign. You've got to find somebody that believes marriage can last. Even if what they've seen is not good, they still believe it's possible. And what you can do also is you look for someone that believes in marriage and you look for someone that has the things that you're looking for. Now, I've talked about lists before in marriage. And I've got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm I have probably steered some people a little bit of the wrong way. I talk about having, you know, top 10 lists, top 20 lists of the things that you're looking for in marriage, and I really don't think it's that complicated. Uh, my wife had like 50 things on her list that apparently I was all of them, and then I asked her, I'm like, when did you make that list, before or after we met? She's like, after we met. I'm like, well, then you just looked at me and made the list, so it's not fair. Um, <laughs> but here, here's what I say about the list. You, you need a list, but here's what it is. 
It's just the things that truly matter. It's only the things that are absolutely will break it off. Meaning this, if there's six things on your list, and if they've got five of them, the sixth one doesn't matter, it's not on your list. I see people all the time make lists. Guys are notorious for, I want a body like this and a face like this and a voice like this. And I'm like, that is not... You literally have to break up a woman to find that. That's not possible. But I see it with girls all the time. He has to be this tall and have this kind of voice and make this much money. I'm like, you're 19. He's not there. (laughs) He's not there. But we're looking for all these things, and we make all these lists, and here's what happens. When we make lists with a lot of things that don't matter, we miss out on people we should be paying attention to. We do. We miss out on people that we should be paying attention to, people that we could have an incredible marriage with because they have the things that truly matter. Because I've talked about it before, the three things that you should look for in dating. Someone that you're attracted to, of course. Someone that you can talk to and someone that loves Jesus. Those are three very important. Yes, you can go beyond that, but you've got to realize this. If, some, if, if at any point you go, well, that one doesn't really matter, then it doesn't need to be on the list. You should be looking for people with just those things. Because here's what marriage can be. And I've been married 12 years, and, I, and like I said, it's the most wonderful, awful relationship that you can be in. There's been some incredible highs. Getting to have kids and raising a son has been amazing. You guys have heard us talk about the baggage and what Chrissy went through and how that had an incredibly three to four years of our marriage was incredibly tough, the lowest of the low times. But seeing God take her out of that and what she's able to do and all those things, because it's one of those things, God makes us better through relationship. God does. God will make you better just by you trying to love someone. Because anything that takes me out of myself causes me to become more like God. And so here's what's possible. These are the things that are possible in marriage. It's the idea of having that person that you can't wait to talk to when something incredible happens. That person that you, whose shoulder you cry on when you lose someone. That person that builds you up and makes you better. That person that encourages you to accomplish more than you thought you could even think it was possible. That person that challenges you to follow Christ with a passion. The person that you'll raise a family with, buy a house with, grow old with. And then at the age of 85, you take a picture and put hashtag relationship goals on it. <laughs> And I will actually take that one seriously and like it. But marriage is an incredible thing that's possible. Is it easy? No, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. But the good and the possibility out of it is huge. I've said this before. If you have a good marriage, that legacy lasts five generations. They say if one person, one one, uh, one spouse and husband, one marriage is good, it will last five generations, whereas one bad marriage could do the same exact thing. You have the possibility to set something, set your kids up and your grandkids up for something great just by taking the steps today. Guys, marriage is important. I want this for you, and that's the reason we talk about all these things. It's the most important relationship outside of God that you will have. And I want to make sure you believe it's possible. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that um, you're a loving God, that uh, you care about us so much. God, I pray that uh, you'll help us kind of just see through the, the fog, the filter of life, and understand what's possible with you. God, I pray that we will not just know that it's possible, we'll believe that a good marriage is possible. God, I pray that we will look for the right things. God, I pray that we won't go into marriage blind, we won't fall for empty promises. God, I pray we'll look for someone that's already there. God, I pray that you'll bless the marriages in here. 
in a way that lasts through generations. God, I thank you just for the honor to get to talk about this tonight. And God, I pray that great discussion will happen today in small groups. God, I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray.